Nonetheless, uh, I'm not the best looking or the worst looking person in the world. You can endure me for just a few more minutes. But 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 10. Let's stand tonight for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from verse 10 down through verse number 14. It says, For whoremongers, or them that defile themselves with mankind, uh, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and, uh, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to, notice those, first, those last two words, sound doctrine, the sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, uh, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at this topic as we study the book of 1 Timothy what does a pastor do anyway? What does a pastor do anyway? Let's pray. We ask tonight, Lord, that you would give us your, uh, your ability to understand. Sharp minds. Lord, I know that in front of me there are tired, weary people who have worked all day. And mentally they are spent. Uh, physically they are exhausted. And uh, they have battled traffic in some cases to get here. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be renewed and energized through the Bible study tonight. And, Lord, that we would leave here grateful for what we've gathered from your word to help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're going uh, book by book through the Bible. And we've gone all the way from Genesis all the way to the book of 1 Timothy. And we're taking more of a bird's eye view of the book, we're not uh, getting down into the details too, too much in each book, um, and so we, uh, we 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 did the Gospels in the New Testament, and then we did the Book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, and then Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and First and Second Thessalonians are the letters written to the local churches by Paul. And now we're getting to another set of books in the New Testament. These are what we call the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles. This is Paul writing letters to his preacher boys about how they are to be pastors. So I take these books very personal. I read First and Second Timothy and Titus dozens of times before I even candidated to be a pastor. Because if God wrote books specific to pastors, then that, those pastors better know what those books say. Uh, so what, what do pastors do? Well, let me just start by saying this, um, that there are three words in the New Testament that describe the same position. Okay, There is the word elder. All right, If you look at chapter number 3 and verse number 1, or rather verse 2, it says, uh, uh, that, that would be the word bishop. A bishop, then, must be blameless. Uh, so there's the word elder, there's the word bishop, and there's the word pastor. All three of those words in the New Testament, elder, bishop, and pastor, describe the same position. Now, the Catholic Church has ran with the word bishop and changed it to something different. But in Bible times, a bishop 
was a pastor. A pastor was a bishop. The words were interchangeable. You say, well, you're not an elder. You're a young man. And I am a young man. I'm a few weeks away from turning 35, but I'm still a young man. But I'm not young in the Lord. I've been saved for uh, well over 30 years now. And so uh, I'm not a novice when it comes to that. But an elder, and that is an elder in the faith. But elder, bishop, and pastor, and those three titles uh, all describe the same thing. Now, the question is, what do pastors do? What do pastors do? Years ago, when I was on Facebook, I saw a meme that, that had me doubled over in laughter about what pastors do. And I'm going to put that on the screen for you right now so you can see this. Top left, what my friends think I do, play golf all day. Uh, what my mother thinks I do, the end is near. What society thinks I do, grab at people's money. What my congregation thinks I do, that's eat all the time. What I think I do, and that's what I really do. <laughs> Every Sunday morning I go through the bathrooms to make sure they're clean, and that is me. Some Sunday mornings when I can't get a, t- a toilet done clogged. So uh, not too far from the truth. But what do pastors do anyway? What should a pastor be and do? Now listen, the sermon tonight, uh, while I will be preaching to myself quite a bit, I'm not just preaching to me. I'm also going to be teaching and preaching to you. Because Paul is t- telling Timothy that there are some things he is to get his congregation to, to understand and do. And if you tonight can understand what it is I'm supposed to get you to do, then Paul is telling you to do it, not me. You understand? So let's jump in here uh, to the outline, and we'll see how far we get tonight. We'll probably finish it up next week. But if you got a prayer bulletin on the back, you will find a fill-in-the-blank. Rose, no cheating. Yeah, I know you did. I, I have one social media account. It's Twitter. Rose is the only person on Social on Twitter that is from the church and follows me. I posted my outline on Twitter, and so she's already written it in. But everyone else, everyone else, here you go. Take that and uh, fill in the blanks uh, as we go along here so you can go back and study it later. Number one, notice sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. So uh, the backstory here is that uh, Timothy was a young man who uh, grew up in, uh, in, in, a, in a town with his mother and his grandmother, and they taught him the scriptures from a very young age, a very young age. And when Paul came to town, Timothy was mesmerized by uh, Paul. We don't know if, Tim- if Timothy's dad was just not a Christian or if Timothy's dad was absent in his life, but we know that Timothy did not have a male influence for right until Paul came around. And Timothy was brought in under Paul's wing, if you will, and he was taught the scriptures. He was uh, uh, he was made uh, his knowledge of the scripture was made better. He was uh, it, it, Paul was basically Timothy's Bible college. He trailed him for years and was his Bible college. And and uh, Timothy, after had gone around with Paul and been taught by Paul, mentored by Paul, trained by Paul, Paul sent him to help a struggling church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus had been ravaged by apostate teachers who had gone in and began to teach all kinds of weird doctrines. We'll get to some of those in a couple of chapters, but uh, uh, the, there were all kinds of weird doctrines and there were fightings 
And there were all kinds of problems. And so Paul sent Timothy to go there and be the pastor of this church and help rid out those who should stop teaching false doctrines, get them straight, and get them going in the right direction. And so Paul now is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and he's in the battle of his life as he's trying to lead the way. And he's telling him in chapter number one, he's saying, hey, Timothy, do not be distracted by people who want to argue with you. Just teach sound doctrine. Letter A, notice the enemies of sound doctrine. The enemies of sound doctrine. Now, when I mean the enemies of sound doctrine, I mean both false doctrines and I mean the false prophets who teach the false doctrines. Look at verse number three. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to, look here, fables, That's someone's babblings, that's someone being spiritually philosophical, but without having it grounded in Scripture, okay? Fables uh, and endless genealogies, people that want to sit around and talk to you in circles about things that don't matter, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. He said, look, if the end of the spiritual theological debate is harshness and criticism and fighting then it hasn't accomplished what doctrine is supposed to accomplish. Doctrine is supposed to clarify. Doctrine is supposed to grow. Doctrine is supposed to unify. And if it's not, and it's supposed to edify. And if it's not doing these things, then you need to stop it. Look at verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, uh, from which some having swerved, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, by the way, just for the language, for, uh, uh, which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain janglings. Vain janglings. Those, those aren't words you hear used all the time. But the idea here is that they're just rattling on about nothing. And that's what had happened was a bunch of apostate preachers, and when I say apostate, false doctrine, loony preachers had gotten into the church of Ephesus, and they were teaching some crazy, bizarre stuff. We'll look at some of what they were teaching as the chapter unfolds. And Paul is saying, look, don't get into it with these guys. Don't even argue with them. They have swerved. They're like driving a car down the road and it's landed in the ditch. Their doctrinal car is in the ditch. All right? They're enemies of sound doctrine. Verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. They're up there trying to look like they know everything and they don't even know what they're talking about. Verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So, yes, the law is a good thing, not a bad thing, but it needs to be used Properly, verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and and, and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for uh, men-stealers, for liars, for purged persons. How many say somewhere in that list? You've done something that would that would put you in that list. How many of you raise your hand and say, yep, I make the list? The rest of you haven't ever told a lie? Liars is on there. How many people you got to murder to be a murderer? One. One lie makes you a liar. All right? We're all on that list. We're all on that list. All right? Look here. 
um, for purged persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is saying this, the law is good, but the law isn't there to beat someone over the head with. The, lo- the purpose of the law is to be this perfect measuring stick that shows us that we all fall short. That's what the law is for. The law isn't so that I can go stand up against the wall and see that I'm closer to the line of perfection than you are. I might be closer to the line than you are. You might be closer to the line of perfection than I am. But we are all a long, long, long ways away. That standard is perfect. And the truth is that every day we wake up and we do more sin than we even realize. And religions that try to tell you that you get to heaven by keeping the law, good luck there. The Bible says if you've offended at one point, you've broken the whole law. So, you know, picture the law as being a chain. All these laws are a chain. Chain's only as strong as its weakest link. You've broken one link of the chain, the chain's shattered. It doesn't matter which link it is. It's shattered. Uh, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie, basically. So, well, I've never killed anyone. Well, yeah, have you ever bared false witness? You ever coveted? Well, then the chain's broken. And Paul said, look, these people that are running around acting pious, acting holier than thou, and saying and preaching the law and beating people over the head with the law, the law is just there to show you that we all fall short. That's the beginning and end of it. And what you need to do, Paul, or rather Timothy, is you need to teach sound Doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. I've had um, I've had uh, people tell me that uh, that um, we need to not be so much on the doctrine and the information. We need more preaching, more in your face, more hammer at home. And I got to tell you, there's a place and time for hard preaching. And we're going to bring people in here to preach sometimes. They're hard preachers. And there are times I'll open the Bible and I'll preach a hard sermon, and hard-hitting sermon. But Paul did not tell Timothy to go preach someone's socks off. Paul told Timothy, go in that church and teach those people the Bible. And, and that, that way they can grow. What's the Bible tell us? Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Hard preaching doesn't set somebody free. The truth sets people free. And this is truth. This is truth. When Paul told Timothy, he said, look, there's a lot of nonsense going on in that church. You've got a battle with people in the church who are egotistical and strong-willed and uh, know-it-alls. Go in there. Don't argue with them. Go in there and teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. So we look, we look at the enemies of sound doctrine. Letter B, look at the expositors of sound doctrine. The expositors of sound doctrine. Look with me at uh, chapter 1, verse 11. It says there, and notice where the emphasis is put as far as glorious and good. Uh, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The, The gospel is glorious and it's perfect and it's committed to the trust of fallen and frail men. Look at verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, Paul says. And then he talks about who he was prior to that. He said, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. 
This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in my uh, that in me uh, first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul is saying here that Timothy. Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget where you come from. Um, I believe for many, many years, pastors were guilty of making a mistake called, what I have called, began calling the mystique mistake. The mystique mistake. Um, one pastor of a large church many years ago said this. He said, tell your people that you have feet of clay, but never show them. I think that's very dangerous. All right, this is the idea that the pastor is almost a a god of sorts that he never messes up, or when he does mess up, he's not going to give you any specifics about it. Um, I talk a lot about my struggles because I'm one of you, and I'm nothing more than a frail, broken sinner saved by the grace of God. And I try to live my life cleaned up, and I battle at it every day. Like I hope you do. Um, now the pastor is to hold himself to a little bit higher standard than a lot than, than just you know the average Joe on the street, the average Susan on the street. But I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace, and that's every pastor. Um, other religions have created this aura around the position of the leader of the church, like he's some kind of a better, holy, greater person, that his prayers mean more than your prayers. You know, you can go to God and talk to him and get his attention just as much as I can. You understand that? Um, you don't have to come confess your sins to me. You don't have to come and, uh, and, and, and tell me your needs so that somehow I'll get hold of God on a level 10 where you can only get hold of them on a level 5. No, we all can get hold of them on a level 10. All right? Just because I have a title next to my name, and I bear the awesome responsibility of looking after the flock of God, doesn't give me any extra access with God than it does you. And so um, Paul is reminding Timothy, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget. This little boy was adopted off the streets by a king. And he was just a homeless little boy, and the king was out one day, and, and he didn't have his son. He was looking for an heir, someone he could give his throne to. He was getting up in years, and so he found this homeless little boy, put him through a test without the boy knowing it, and he passed the test, showing that he could be a selfless young man. And this little boy had been wearing the same clothes for months. The king put him in his chariot and took him into his palace and gave the boy the finest of rooms and Gave him a whole wardrobe of just brand new, royal, expensive clothes. And, and uh, each day the butler of the castle would go in and wake this little boy up and say, Hey, the king wants to have breakfast with you. Breakfast will be served in 30 minutes. Get, get yourself ready to go. And that boy would take quite a bit longer than 30 minutes each day. And so the butler began to wonder what the little boy was doing. And it took him so long to get ready. And so one day he stood outside the door and watched it cracked open. And a little boy climbed out of his bed. He slipped out of his bed clothes. He reached in his bottom drawer and he put on his old homely clothes from when he was homeless. 
And the butler knocked on the door and the boy was startled. He pushed the door open and he said, young man, what are you doing? Why are, why are you wearing those clothes when you've been given the nicest clothes in the world? And that little boy turned with a tear in his eye and he looked at the butler and he said, I'm so thankful for my new clothes, but I never want to forget where I came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. You know what Christians are guilty of? Looking down their pharisaical noses at people, treating them like they're better than someone else. We're no better than anyone else. I'm not better than someone who's sitting in a bar right now. I'm just forgiven and I've got God's grace dripping off me. And But for the grace of God, there go I. So the expositors, the preachers, the leaders of sound doctrine, they're to be humble. They're to remember their roots. Number one, sound doctrine. Number two, notice, spiritual devotion. Spiritual devotion. This is a textbook, if you will. This is a manual from Paul to Timothy on how to pastor his church. And what ought to be important to him in his church. Not only that, but Timothy was dealing with some specific problems there in that church that I believe that we deal with even today, uh, some, some uh, 2,000 years later uh, in 2018. And so the very first thing he's going to tell this church, letter A, is that you need to be a church devoted to prayer. A church devoted to prayer. Can we just talk about prayer for a minute? Prayer is hard work. It's hard. You know what happens every time I go to pray? I get distracted. Anybody else? You know, if I'm going to get a text within an hour window, it's going to come right at the beginning of when I'm going to pray. I've got to turn my phone off or put it in the other room. Or go on a walk and leave it in my house or my office. And uh, there have been many times where I have walked to Booth Park with my phone in my office and didn't tell my staff where I was going and didn't tell my wife where I was going. Just walk down there to pray. Because I, I just needed to be alone with the Lord. But can I tell you something? I have struggled my whole Christian life at having a solid, strong, consistent prayer life. I have. Now, I might be being a little too transparent tonight, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one that struggled to develop a strong prayer life. Oh, I pray pray every day. I'm a pastor. I'm not going to survive in this role if I don't pray every day. I'm not going to survive. I get called and texted by uh, both people within this ministry and people from previous ministries and friends of mine from around the country, and pastor's friends, and they will hurl their burdens my direction. And if I don't learn how to lay them at the Lord's feet, I would be locked up in a loony house. I mean that. That's not just conjecture. That's the truth. And so you've got to learn how to lay those at the Lord's feet. But prayer is the topic that's probably talked about most in church and done the least. We talk about it, but we don't do it. We don't do it. Um, Look at uh, chapter 2. We don't do it like we ought to. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, Paul's saying, I'm stepping on your toes a little bit here, church of Ephesus, Timothy. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks. These are different levels or different types of prayers. Uh, Giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all 
all, all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth? Let me pause right there. The very first thing Paul tells Timothy to do is have your church pray for the political leaders. The political leaders. I'm, I'm going to ask a question. I don't want a soul to raise their hand. All right? I'm going to guess our church is split down the middle on their opinion of Donald Trump. Split right down the middle. Just like the country is. Can I, can I just tell you this about myself? I'm going to go there. I'm split down the middle on Donald Trump. Split right down the middle. There are things about the guy I like. There are things about the guy I can't stand. Absolutely can't stand. Um, let's see. Ronald Reagan was president when I was born. That makes some of you feel really old right now. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Ronald Reagan was president when I was born. Can I tell you, I don't really remember Ronald Reagan much. I was just a kid. I remember the first George Bush. I remember Bill Clinton well. I learned a lot about life while Bill Clinton was president because Bill Clinton was president. Um, things about life that I, my parents had to explain a lot of things to me because Bill Clinton was president. But then I remember George W. Bush. I remember, uh, obviously, Barack Obama. And I, I, you can't, unless you're living under a rock, you know who Donald Trump is. Um, there have been presidents that I have liked. There have been presidents I have not liked. There have been presidents I've been torn over. Um, do you know that whether you like the president or hate the president, you are to pray for the president? Whether you like our senators or you can't stand our senators, uh, you are to pray for them. Whether you like our mayor or don't like our mayor, you are to pray for them. Can I tell you something? Be careful what news sources you watch. Most of our news sources that are out there on cable news, they're, they're baited. They're baiting 50% of the country that direction. I can't think of a news source on cable news right now that isn't baiting 50% of the country. That's what they do. Do you understand that? Fox News is made for the right. MSNBC and CNN are made for the left. They're made to get people who can't stand the president to watch it, or they're made to get people who love the president to watch it. And if all you're doing is watching one news source, you're going to fall into the trap of hating the other side. We are all Americans. Someone may have a different view than you, but you can be kind to them. And it's hard for you to hate a politician if you're on your knees praying for that politician. Hard. i got to tell you, um, I wasn't the biggest Barack Obama fan for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons why I got off of Facebook is I got sick and tired of Christians belittling and hating our president. Got sick of it. And it became very evident to me these Christians weren't praying for that man. You pray for your president. You pray for your leaders. Why? First Timothy 2 tells us right here. Okay? Uh, in verse number uh, 2, it says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Paul was saying, you know why you need to pray for your kings and those in authority? So that they will leave you alone and let you live your Christian life. That's it. The government needs to stay out of the church. And really, the church doesn't need to try to control the government. God can control the leaders in government, but we don't need to have a church-run government. 
and that separation of, of church and state there. But Paul was saying, pray for them so they'll leave you alone, uh, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life. So we're to pray for our politicians. Look down at verse number uh, 4, and he goes on talking more about prayer. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If you are struggling to know why you shouldn't go to a priest and pray and let the priest take your prayers to the Lord, because verse 5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, not the Pope, not the priest, not the cardinal, not the elder. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. You go to Jesus with your prayers. And you tell him about it. Verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all and uh, be testified in due time. Verse 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So you pray everywhere. Everywhere you go, you ought to be praying. All right. Um, if I haven't been controversial enough, buckle your seatbelt. It's not me getting controversial. It's Timothy. Letter B. Women devoted to propriety. Women devoted to propriety. Paul is going to turn and address another issue that, um, that Timothy uh, inherited in the church of Ephesus. And this is the topic of women preachers and women leaders. What do we do with this? There are Christians who believe that women should pastor, and there are Christians that believe women shouldn't pastor. And there is a hotly contested debate in the Christian world on this topic. Let me give a couple of um, ground rules for this topic. Everybody listening? The first one is that this is not a topic about sexism or misogyny. It has nothing to do with that. Right? I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that mankind and womankind are equal. Men are not better than women, and women are not better than men. They're equal. But they're not the same. They're equal, and they are complementary. That means men have a role, and women have a role. There are things that women are to do that men are not supposed to do. How many ladies here believe there are things women are to do that men are not supposed to do? Would you raise your hand? If you're a woman here and you believe there are things you do that men have no right doing, hold your hand high, ladies. Hold them up there. All right? Then you have to concede that there are things that men are to do that you're not supposed to do. Am I supposed to stand here and say that you are sexist because you believe there are things that women are allowed to do that men aren't? Then don't call me sexist or God sexist or the Bible sexist when it's the other way around. So Paul's going to talk to the women here because this church had a woman problem. And it was that the women didn't understand their role and they were trying to run over men. I believe from studying the book and reading it and reading the culture and history that there were a group of women whose husbands had been killed, and they were young, and they were widows, and they were running around, and they were gossiping, and they were sleeping around. They were causing problems. And then they were coming to church on Sunday, and they were trying to preach. And Paul's going to have none of it. 
So he addresses the topic here in general about the woman's role within the church. So women devoted to propriety. Let her, notice the subpoint there, in their modesty. In their modesty. Look at chapter 2, verse number 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but, notice the contrast word, which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let's talk about modesty for a minute here. I'm going to hit this quickly and move on. What does modesty mean? Modesty means that you are not calling attention to any part of you other than your face. That's what modesty means. If your clothing points an arrow at anything other than your face, it's immodest. I remember I remember as a teenager, we had a girl, uh, I was probably 13. I may have been a 12-year-old in the seventh grade, but I... I believe that was right. We had a girl in our um, youth group. Um, her name was Heather. And Heather began to wear a um, sweaters that were extremely tight. I mean, hugging the bottom of her breasts tight. I'm just going to talk blunt here, so you'll have to um, uh, forgive me if that, that offends you. And the whole church was in shock. She was treated like, remember the movie or the book, The Scarlet Letter? That's how she was treated. I mean, like an outcast. Now, the church was not, didn't handle her right, but that was the attitude toward people coming to church and modest, just in general. Um, today, on a Sunday morning, when I stand up and preach, it's difficult. Just, I'm just going to tell you what I see from up here. It's difficult. I've got female cleavage staring at me for 45 minutes. You think that pleases the Lord? There are parts of you ladies that are private. You're to cover those up. They're called undergarments for a reason. To keep them under your clothes. Dress in a way that pleases the Lord. Let the arrows of your fashion point to your face and nothing else. God made women beautiful, and he made men not so beautiful. If a lady sees a man driving down the road, or a lady is driving down the road and sees a man out cutting the lawn with his shirt off, she's going to crash in the ditch because she's puking in her mouth. If a man's driving down the road and sees a lady cutting the grass in a bikini, he's going to crash in the ditch, but it isn't going to be because he's puking in his mouth. It's going to be for a different reason. Men's legs look like a rope with a knot in the middle. Ladies' legs don't look that way. God made you ladies beautiful from head to toe. And he made you that way so that you would be, your husband would be drawn to you. And so keep yourself for him. And listen, if you don't know where to draw those lines, talk to your husband about it. Talk to, talk to a godly leader. Uh, uh, ladies, talk to uh, another elderly lady who clearly has this figured out and help her know what that is. But the Bible is clear here that you're to adorn Yourself in modest apparel. Uh, let's look here. Um, women devoted to propriety in their ministry. In their ministry. We'll finish with this one. We'll pick up on uh, point number three next week. Look with me at verse number 12. But I suffered not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, 
but to be in silence. How many believe John 3.16 is um, a verse you can stand on strongly? Okay? You don't get to pick and choose which verses in the Bible you like and don't like. This is just as much in the Bible as John 3.16. All right? Now, if you agree that there are roles women can do that men can't do, and there are roles men can do that women shouldn't do, and one of those is that God does not want women teaching men. Now, let me share for you really quick. I'm almost done. Let me share with you real quick the, the arguments against where I stand. The first argument against where I stand is that, um, that, uh, that these women weren't educated, and because they weren't educated, they weren't allowed to teach. The problem with that is, is that Paul doesn't mention education anywhere in this passage. So you can't add things to the scripture that isn't there. The other thing that people say is that this was specific and only to the women in Ephesus. But it doesn't say that either. So you can't add something that isn't there. And the third thing I'd say is that Paul takes it a step further and draws it all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden as the reason to why not. Look at verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. There's a lot here. I'm going to speak quickly. Okay, He's saying that Eve ate the fruit in deception. Adam, when he ate the fruit, he knew exactly what he was doing. Adam sunk his teeth in that fruit, and he knew he was violating God's law. He did not do it in deception. Eve was totally duped by the serpent. Adam was not duped. Okay? So, Adam was not duped because Adam is made by God to be logical, and Eve was made by God to be emotional. And what is not greater than the other, they're equal. But when it comes to leading a church, we need someone who is logical in nature to lead. And so God created man to be logical, and He wants that man to be the leader. The leader. Okay? And He says here that the woman will be saved through childbearing. You know who the greatest, strongest Woman is a woman who knows how to take biblical truths and teach them to her children. And those children grow up. And here's this statement I want you ladies to take away from this. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You rock that cradle and you teach that child the things of God consistently at a young age. And you will raise a Moses like Miriam did. Or you will raise a Samuel like Hannah did who poured her morals into that baby. And, and Moses and Samuel became the men they were because of the mothers that they had. And uh, those mothers were the, the, the live in the shadow of those men, but those mothers did a whole lot to get them to who they are and where they were. And listen, it just comes down to this word of contentment. Be content with who you are and who God made you to be. Now, I'll also say this is be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. There are a lot of women preachers on TV who are selling books. And a lot of what they say is good, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they're violating the Scripture to do it. Can a woman teach other women? Yes. Yes. Turn over to, we won't do it tonight. You turn over to Titus 
believe it's chapter 2 off the top of my head, and it talks about women teaching other women. It's a, it's a thing. It's important. Miss Rose Okai teaches our ladies' class, and we have a Miss Rose, she, but she's teaching, but there aren't men in there. She's not usurping authority over them. Now, what she does with Jake when she gets home, I can't do anything about, all right? No, I'm teasing. But she teaches other, other ladies, and that's fine. And if one of these women are on the TV and they're preaching to a group of women, watch away. Watch away. But be careful with that. Be careful with that. Know what God's plan is and handle it. Why was the churches of Ephesus struggling? Well, they had men and women running around teaching all kinds of crazy doctrine. And it was a church becoming overran by women who wanted to teach and, and handle things. And, and uh, Paul sent Timothy into a hornet's nest and then wrote him a letter to encourage him. But tonight we can learn from this and we can know uh, what God's plan is. Next week we're going to get into the qualifications of a pastor and a deacon. We're also going to talk about how a church should handle its widows, its widows, okay? And then we're going to talk about uh, Satan's attempt to try to bring all of us down. And we'll finish the book with that, all right? Some of you came tonight for the first time on a Wednesday night. you got some heavy topics handed to you. But, um, but God's Word does not return void. And I hope you appreciate a pastor who just takes the Word of God and teaches it authentically. Amen? Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed.